Hello! Welcome to Ending Explained, a film review podcast that takes a deep dive into those tricky and intriguing open endings. I'm your host, Kenna Park, and today we're talking about the movie The Power of the Dog. Before we jump into that, since this is my very first episode, I wanted to quickly go over what my vision is for this show. I definitely want to do a wide variety of movies. Um, We'll do current movies, we'll do old classics, we'll do, um, I feel like a lot of more thriller and scary movies, horror movies. We'll have these sorts of open endings that I'm looking to dissect and get into as well as, you know, maybe more highbrow movies like The Power of the Dog that get Oscar nominations and that sort of thing. My vision for each episode is to cover one film, maybe sometimes a TV show. Um, Sometimes I will do solo podcasts like today. Other times I think it would be fun to invite some of the people in my life that I know who are also into film, like me, to... um, be my guest, to have more of a conversation instead of me just talking into a microphone for however long these episodes are going to be. The structure of these episodes, um, I have a loose structure of starting off with a brief introduction of the film, going through a pretty thorough plot summary, and then diving into the main explanations for the end of those movies, and then also secondary explanations, possible theories, those sorts of things, themes, metaphors, um, unanswered questions, maybe hints from the filmmakers, or if the book is based off, or if the film is based off of a book, maybe hints from those sorts of things as well. And then um, doing a preview at the end of each episode of the movie that we'll be covering in the next episode. And then also, I would love for this podcast to be interactive if, you know, I ever get more than, um, like, two listeners. (laughs) Just looking to have some fun with this and hopefully find some listeners who are looking for the same sort of content that I love, where films are reviewed, but not just a basic review, going deep into different meanings and possibilities that the film is communicating. There's a lot of really great podcasts out there for movie lovers like me, but a lot of them are just more basic or typical standard reviews of movies instead of focusing on what I hope to focus on. So long story short, thanks for joining me. I'm so glad you're here and let's jump into the power of the dog. I chose to start my very first episode with this movie because it's a new movie, it has a lot of Oscar buzz, and it definitely, definitely has an ending that just begs to be explained and analyzed. The Power of the Dog is directed by Jane Campion. Love her. Let's support female directors as much as possible. There is not enough of them. There's not enough support for them. So, The Power of the Dog has the most Oscar nominations than any other film this year. So, the Oscar nominations came out a few weeks ago, and I believe that the Oscar ceremony where the winners are announced will happen at the end of March of this year. So, 
The Power of the Dog got an astounding 12 nominations. Okay, this is pretty rare for a movie to get that many nominations. Very few movies have accomplished that. So the categories are Best Picture, Director, Actor, Supporting Actress, Two Supporting Actors, Adapted Screenplay, Editing, Production Design, Cinematography, Original Score, and Sound. So yeah, this is a pretty incredible film. Whether you, you know, put stock into the Oscars or not, it's pretty undeniable that this film is incredible. Now I'm going to hop into the plot summary. Hopefully listeners know from literally the name of the podcast is called Ending Explained that you can infer from that there are going to be very heavy spoilers. So if you have not watched The Power of the Dog, turn this podcast off, go watch it right now. I forgot to mention it's on Netflix, so very accessible. It's sad that it's not really showing in movie theaters because it. I never saw it in theaters. Um, I wish that it would come around and maybe my local theaters will do a few limited showings of it now that it's gotten so much Oscar buzz because I would definitely pay money to go and rewatch this film in theaters with how like the cinematography is so breathtaking, the sound, the score, like, ooh, it just begs for a movie theater experience. But let's hop into the plot summary. You've been warned, major spoilers ahead. The setting is 1925 Montana. There are four main characters in this movie that are very central. It's very much a character exploration type of movie. So let's dive in first to those four characters. First, we have Phil. Phil is played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Love him so much ever since I was obsessed with Sherlock as a teenager. Um, So Phil, he is a wealthy ranch owner with his brother. He projects masculinity and alpha behavior very dominantly, very loudly. He can be cruel often, very blatantly to the people around him. But he is also an academic and very savvy and skilled in cattle driving cowboy type things, for lack of a better word. Another thing about him is he is always purposefully dirty physically, like doesn't bathe very often. There's a lot of times where people poke fun at him saying like, you should shower, you should bathe. (laughs) When was the last time you bathed? He kind of revels in being dirty physically. Now let's move on to George. George is our next um, character of the four main characters. George is Phil's brother. He's also a co-wealthy ranch owner with Phil. However, his personality is very different from Phil's. He's quiet. He's more sophisticated. um, And we'll definitely dive more into him. I also think that he's a character that isn't all what he seems. Next, we have Rose. Rose is a kind widow and an owner. She is also um, 
the mother of the next character, last but not least, Peter. Peter is Rose's son. He's interested in medical science. He projects a sort of effeminate manner, but is also a bit um, quiet. We'll definitely get more into that. His age is never defined as far as I was able to notice. He could be an older teenager or perhaps like a younger adult. I'm guessing more teen, older teen. Um, But yeah. All right, let's dive into the plot. So the movie starts off, again, we're in 1920s Montana. During a cattle drive, Phil and George stop at an inn, and this is where they meet Rose and Peter. Rose and Peter are working at the inn. While loudly showing off to his ranch hands, who are accompanying them on this cattle drive, Phil very cruelly mocks Peter as he's serving them dinner. George, on the other hand, um, is quickly taken with Rose, who is making the dinner, and comes across her while she's in a moment of distress and comforts her in kind of his own a little awkward, a little unsure of himself, but kind way. And then the movie jumps forward in time. George and Rose, soon after we see that encounter, get married, and they move to George and Phil's family ranch house. It's a very big, nice house. This family comes from money. And Rose is able to afford to send Peter, her son, to college to study medicine science because of this marriage. And so at this point in the movie, um, Peter is not really in it. We're focusing mostly at this point of the movie on George and Rose and Phil. So they arrive at the house where Phil is already and Phil immediately dislikes Rose and openly accuses her of basically being a gold digger. And he begins taunting her and psychologically unnerving her. And one evening, soon after, um, George and Rose move into the house. George organizes a dinner party with um, his parents and the governor and the governor's wife. Apparently, they're so highbrow wealthy that they're buddy-buddy with the governor's family. And before, in preparation for this dinner party, he pushes Rose, who has very minimal, minimal piano skills, to play a piano um play a piano song at this party he even goes so far as to like purchase her a piano to push her to play a piano to play a song at this party despite her multiple times telling him like no george i'm really not that good like i really have not practiced that much and she tries to practice but Phil rattles her and taunts her. And um, basically, rattled by pressure at performing at the party and Phil's belittlement, she makes a very embarrassing, short, failed attempt at playing um, at the dinner party. And this is a breaking point for Rose. Here is when she begins drinking alcohol, which is something she previously spoke about being opposed to. 
Now we're jumping forward a little more in time. Peter returns to the ranch from school and Rose tries to hide her very distressed state. She has definitely devolved into a very distressed state um, and has become an alcoholic. And she tries to hide this from Peter, but not super well. He quickly learns that she has become an alcoholic at the belittling hands of Phil. And in addition to that, Phil and his ranch hand men repeatedly taunt um, Peter. Now, Phil has a secret secluded clearing where he goes to intimately reflect on his late mentor, Bronco Henry. Peter comes across Phil's hideout and in doing so finds a stash of magazines with Bronco Henry's name depicting nude men and sees Phil bathing with Bronco Henry's handkerchief around his neck. Phil notices Peter and furiously chases him off. From then on, Phil begins to show a bit of decency to Peter, offering to make him a lasso from rawhide and teaching him cowboy skills like riding a horse. Peter willingly accompanies him, much to his mother Rose's distress and alarm. One day, Peter rides a horse out on his own and finds a clearly diseased dead cow carcass from which he carefully cuts off pieces of its hide wearing gloves. Now, um, while Peter and Phil one day are working on a fencing job, Phil accidentally cuts open his hand and Peter notices this but doesn't say anything. Peter then sits down with Phil to have a chat and he begins to open up to Phil and he recounts how he found the body of his alcoholic father who had hung himself and tells Phil about finding being the first one to find his father's body and cutting the corpse down by himself. And he also mentions that his father told him that he was not kind enough and Phil scoffs at this. Rose learns about Phil's policy of wastefully burning the cow hides that he does not need for himself and defiantly gives the leftover hides to local Native American traders who thank her with a pair of gloves. She then collapses from her rapid alcohol consumption and George tends to her. Now, when Phil finds out what Rose has done, he's enraged, to say the least, and distressed that he doesn't have any hides left to finish making Peter's lasso for him. He attempts to lash out at Rose, but George stops him, and Peter further calms him down by offering him the hide he had cut from the dead cow, and Phil is clearly touched at this, and Phil does not know that it came from a dead, diseased cow. So Phil and Peter that night spend time together in the barn, finishing the rope, finishing the lasso. Phil washes and softens the hide that Peter gave to him in a liquid solution with his bare hands, exposing his open wound. As the two share a cigarette, Phil tells Peter about the night Bronco Henry saved his life by lying body to body with him in a bedroll during freezing weather. Peter asks if they were naked, and Phil does not answer but looks away with a small smile. The next morning, George finds Phil sickened in bed, his wound on his hand now severely infected. A delirious Phil looks for Peter to give him the finished lasso, but George takes Phil away before he can find him, and he drops the lasso on the ground. And then, in an abrupt transition, 
George is later seen picking out a coffin for Phil. Phil has died and his body is being prepared for burial. At the funeral, the doctor tells George that Phil most likely died from anthrax. Now, this puzzles George because anthrax typically comes from diseased cattle, and Phil was always very skilled and careful to avoid diseased cattle hide. Peter, who skipped Phil's funeral, is up in his room, opens a book, and then reads Psalm 2220, which reads, Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog, end quote. He carefully puts his finished lasso that Phil made for him under his bed with gloved hands, and then he looks down from a window as George and a now sober Rose return home and embrace. He turns away and gives a small mysterious smile. All right, that was a bit of a long summary. I apologize if it felt a little lengthy, but there's just so much to this story. I wanted to do it justice, and there's a lot of details throughout the movie that are important to understand to be able to understand what the ending means. So, main explanation. Lots of people did not get the ending on the first watch, so do not feel bad if you also came away from the movie going, wait a second, what just happened? If you did get it on the first try, congratulations. So smart, so smart. (laughs) So the main question, how did Phil die? Peter subtly brought Phil's death to pass. Peter had that diseased cowhide. He knew that Phil had that wound on his hand and he had enough medical experience, we can assume, Um, from his studies to know that the cowhide, um, his, Phil's wound being exposed to that cowhide was going to get him diseased, get him that anthrax, um, fatal disease. Now, secondary explanations, once that big one is out of the way, one of the biggest questions here that the film plays with is who is actually the bully? Who holds the power? Now, it's very blatant at, even at the very beginning of the movie, that Phil is volatile and projects a very rough, strong, loud alpha persona. But the big twist at the end, being that Peter is the one who has arranged Phil's death, is has to do with this question of who is actually the bully, who holds the power. And I don't know if I would necessarily describe Peter as a bully per se, but in the end, it's obvious that Peter was the one who has held the power in this relationship between him and Phil for quite a long time. So there were a lot of hints to this. Um, The one of them being that Peter admits his dad telling him that he's too strong and not kind enough, which is a bit weird because he seems to be a kind, kind of quiet guy. That's the persona he puts off. He's a bit effeminate, um, which some people, especially Phil, reads as weakness. 
Also, the movie makes clear that Peter notices Phil's cut on his hand and doesn't say anything when it happens. Another big clue is that Peter is very studious when it comes to medical knowledge, and his kind of ruthlessness is hinted at in the way that he treats animals. So, in one scene, he has captured a rabbit and brings it home and shows his mom, and, you know, they kind of the mom go rose says how cute the rabbit is that sort of thing and then in the next scene peter is found in his room with the rabbit completely sliced open and he's dissecting it to basically um get some medical surgical experience and learn more about anatomy and then in another scene um where phil and peter are building the fence a rabbit gets stuck and breaks its leg, and so the two decide that the rabbit should be put out of its misery. Um, Peter, very kind of quietly and calmly, picks up the rabbit, strokes it a little, you know, to comfort it, and then all of a sudden just, like, breaks its neck very kind of coldly and ruthlessly. And that, I think, that scene with the rabbit, that second rabbit, is very symbolic of um, his overall scheme for that ends up with Phil dying. He's very calm. He's very quiet. He's kind of stroking the rabbit, just like he's kind of stroking Phil's... Um, <laughs> that I did not mean for that to sound inappropriate at all, but basically coddling Phil, making Phil get into a false sense of security with him and then all of a sudden breaks the neck anthrax in the wound all of a sudden bill's dead another big hint about what peter ultimately does to phil comes at the very beginning of the movie when there's a voiceover from peter before we even see the opening scene the beginning lines that peter says and I quote, When my father passed, I wanted nothing more than my mother's happiness. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? And so that obviously is the whole motivation for Peter's um, plan to kill Phil is to protect his mother. He sees that Peter, I mean, sorry, Peter sees that Phil is basically psychologically torturing his mother into a complete state of distress and alcoholism. Um, and he is taking care of his mother <laughs> by killing Phil. Now, let's, let's look more at Phil when it comes to the question of who's actually the bully, who actually holds the power. Now, as I said before, Phil is very volatile he comes off as blatantly offensive and cruel and very alpha, and he lets everyone around him know it. But there are kind of three turns that Phil takes throughout the movie. The first is at the beginning, first third of the movie, where he's very blatantly offensive and cruel and loud and alpha and all that sort of stuff, and just straight up treats everyone around him including his own brother, including Rose, including Peter, 
very poorly. And then a change comes in Phil when Peter discovers him bathing in his private secluded area with Bronco Henry's handkerchief. After that, he starts kind of cautiously, kind of reservedly changing his demeanor toward Peter to be less cruel and more helpful. And to me, I interpreted this as he did this out of security. He did not want Peter to reveal that Phil was basically a closeted gay man. And so to preserve that secret, he starts to kind of treat Peter better. Now, another turn in Phil's treatment of Peter comes during a key moment when Phil is showing Peter the mountain, the view of the mountain from his ranch house, saying, I can see something that me and my old past mentor, Bronco Henry, could see. Only we two could see it. And Peter is able to say, oh, I see it. It's a dog right there, the shape of a dog in the shadows on the mountain. And Phil is genuinely surprised and impressed when Peter shows that he can see this and something clicks for Peter. And from then on, he's not just treating Peter kindly out of just kind of preservation to keep his sexuality a secret out of that worry. He's now showing like a genuine interest in Peter and wanting to form a real relationship with this kid. Now, whether he is wanting to step into a similar role as Bronco Henry and mentor Phil and maybe even have some sort of romantic or sexual relationship with with Peter, that kind of remains open-ended. My interpretation is that maybe that's kind of where he was headed. And that's a bit uncomfy for multiple reasons, but I think it's important because one of the main themes of this movie is abuse. Abuse victims and the power dynamics that come with that. Because it is pretty clear that Phil was abused by his mentor, Bronco Henry. It's never explicitly stated, but it's definitely heavily implied that Bronco Henry, a much older mentor to a very young Phil, took advantage of that mentor, older person role inappropriately and had a sexually abusive relationship with Phil, especially after Phil describes the night that he and Bronco Henry um, basically climbed into a sleeping bag together, nude. And just the way that Phil worships Bronco Henry so much and thinks of him in such a, like, revered, loving way. And, of course, in his private secluded area with the little lake, he has Bronco Henry's handkerchief and is using it very intimately. And so, in a way, very unexpectedly, Phil is a victim. He is a victim of Bronco Henry's. 
And now I definitely want to have a disclaimer here. Definitely want to um, state that just because someone has been a victim of abuse before does not justify their abusive behavior afterwards. Phil is still very much an abuser, both emotionally and psychologically to the people around him, especially Rose. And so let's remember that and not try to justify those actions. Abusive actions are not justified. But it is also um, important to this story and explaining the ending that Phil is a victim himself in addition to an abuser. And he's much, much less powerful than he projects, than he appears. Now, one of the scenes near the end of the film that had me a bit confused at first while I was still trying to kind of understand the whole, you know, plot that was going on was right after Phil finds out that Rose has given away or sold all of the leftover cowhides to the um, Native Americans, he has a complete freakout breakdown. Um just absolutely losing it and I did not understand why he was having such an intense reaction to this like obviously Rose did it to kind of get back at Phil but also they were just hides that Phil was going to burn just so that like no if he wasn't going to use them he wasn't going to let other people use them it was kind of like a prideful thing for him but the level of freakout that he has was just a bit confusing to me. But then as I kind of realized more and more that Phil was starting to look at Peter as having a very meaningful, perhaps even on the verge of a romantic relationship with him, and that those hides being gone meant that he could no longer finish creating that rope, that lasso out of cowhide, that explained to me a bit more why he had such a complete freak out at that moment. He's trying to replicate his relationship with Bronco Henry with him now being in that um, older mentor role to Peter. And so he is obviously having a lot of repressed emotions. <laughs> and I think in this scene is when he kind of lets all that slip out and he seems to be acting out irrationally and one of the main things that calms him down after George steps in is Peter saying oh hey I have this cowhide that I found myself we can use this for us to finish the lasso and that really touches Phil and calms him down quite a bit and then along with this question that the ending poses of who is the bully and who is the victim along with the main ending explained thread of Peter being the one who actually was subtly in power I would also argue this is a theory of mine and you know to what extent up up to up to opinion but from what I see this is my interpretation of the film that George is also a bully to Phil and that Phil is a victim not just to Peter and Bronco Henry but also a victim to George. This is definitely even 
maybe more subtle than um, Phil being a victim to Peter, because, you know, obviously Peter's the one who ends up getting Phil killed. George doesn't do anything like that. But here's the thing with George. So George is not as sweet and quiet. Well, he is quiet, but he has this opposite persona of Phil where he's very quiet and kind of comes across as nice and that sort of thing. Very much non-confrontational, whereas Phil is very confrontational. But in the first couple scenes of the movie, when we see interactions between Phil and George, to me, it's very evident that he's the silent but true alpha in this relationship between him and his brother. Phil is very, you know, he will call George names, call him fatso, those sorts of things. But at the same time, Phil comes off as very needy and dependent on George. And George knows it. Like, George knows what he's doing. Um, At the very opening scene, when George and Phil are riding on um, horseback on the cattle drive, you can tell that Phil is getting worried that George is going to kind of abandon him um, and no longer be his, you know, partner in their cattle hand business. And he, he's dependent on George. He wants him around. He's kind of needy, kind of desperate, and maybe lashes out at George because George is not giving him the answer that he wants, that, yeah, I'm going to stick with you, you know, throughout the rest of our lives doing this together. Nothing's ever going to change. Now, another reason or another scene soon after that is when George and Phil and their ranch hands are eating dinner at Rose's Inn. And, you know, Phil is putting on a big loud scene for the ranch hands and being cruel But then, I can't remember exactly the right words, I apologize, what they're specifically talking about, but Phil says something to George across the table, and George basically shuts Phil down in a way that obviously hurts Phil, in a way that obviously is, I would say, even more cruel, because, I don't know. We're definitely playing with what power looks like and what it can look like in different ways. An abuse of power, and there's the quiet type, and there's the loud type, and George here is definitely the quiet type, and I would argue in a lot of situations, the quiet type is even more cruel than the loud and blatant type. Now, let's move on to George's treatment of Rose. We haven't touched on Rose very much. Um, I wish that her character had more depth instead of just kind of like a two-dimensional victim to Phil once she starts um, succumbing to alcoholism and that sort of thing. Um, Maybe my interpretation of her character is um, wrong or not what other people got from her. I, I just wanted to see a bit more complexity and uh, to her character, and I feel like it kind of fell flat in the second half of the movie. But 
Another reason I am pushing this theory that George is also a bully um, and holds power in a not great way is not just his treatment of Phil, um, but also his treatment of Rose. And this is worse because, you know, Phil's kind of asking for it. He is super mean and George is just, you know, not putting up with it. But when it comes to Rose, this is what really gets me. So in the very beginning, their marriage is obviously rushed. He um, basically meets her and then we're not quite given the exact timeline, but pretty soon after they're married. And it's clear in a scene where the two of them are traveling on their own in a carriage that they're not super familiar with each other. Um, they didn't take the time to get to know each other before they decided to get married. And I definitely don't view Rose's character as like a straight up gold digger, ill intent sort of thing. I definitely think she's looking for companionship, perhaps. Perhaps she feels lonely with her first husband passing away. But also maybe a gold digger in a, a very innocent, selfless way because she knows that once she marries George, who's wealthy, she'll be able to send her son to a better place. In my eyes, she's kind of getting into this marriage as in a sacrificial way for her son to get her son into a better situation um, and to be able to afford to send him to college to study medicine. Um, and in my mind, George kind of knows this and takes advantage of that. Now, in this scene, um, when they're traveling in the carriage, you know, they stop to take a break, have a bit of lunch, dance a little bit. And there is this part where George is kind of maybe overcome with emotion and he steps away and he tells Rose as he's like gazing out at the landscape that it's just nice to not be lonely anymore. And maybe some people take that as romantic or sweet and feel sorry for George. But to me, I see it as he's taken advantage of this grieving widow who needs, you know, could highly benefit from being in a better uh, financial status, wealth status position for her son um, to just kind of appease his own loneliness in like a not super loving way, maybe more of a selfish way. But even I would say more evidence to that, even if the things I've already mentioned are a bit, you know, up for interpretation, how could anyone watch those scenes involving the piano and not feel like George is, like, completely slappable? Like, you want to just wring his neck. At least I did. When he keeps pushing Rose to play the piano and not listening to Rose when she... It's not just, like, once that she tries to tell George, like, no, I'm not comfortable with this. Like, no, I really don't want to do this. No, I, I really am not skilled enough to do this. I do not have the skills or experience um, to play a song at the party that's upcoming with the governor and your parents. That's so much pressure. Please don't do this to me. 
he pushes her. He he literally goes out and buys her a piano because they don't have a piano at the house, like a nice piano, and doesn't listen to her and forces her to play at this party. And this is obviously, uh, Phil has a hand in her not really being able to practice in like, um, tearing down her confidence, that sort of thing. But it just, it's too much for me for George to be innocent in this, to kind of play the, oh, like, I have love goggles on and I believe that you'll just play great because you just are great at whatever you do. You know, that's kind of what he tries to say, but it's just too far. She tries to tell him too many times that she does not want to do it and it feels forced in a mean way to me. And then another thing is that once it is very clear that Rose is being psychologically tortured by Phil, by George's brother, in their own home, and she's just completely devolving into just falling into this hole of alcoholism and just falling apart, what does George do? Uh, nothing. It's a bit unclear how often George is even around to see it, but best case scenario, he's not around to see it very much. That's still a not great scenario because he has left his wife knowingly with Phil, who he knows is not a great guy and treats everyone around him like crap and belittles people. So best case scenario, he is not around to see what Phil's doing to her, but he should know generally that Phil is not going to be nice to her. And to me, that's like abandonment. (laughs) Like you cannot just leave your spouse with your emotionally abusive brother for that long. And if it actually was where sometimes he was off traveling for work and other times he was at the house, um, you should be able to know that your wife is going through something that major. And from what the movie shows us, he doesn't do anything about it. He does nothing. He does nothing to protect her from Phil until near the end with that scene when Phil is going into a rage about Rose selling the um, cow hides. George does finally approach Phil and, you know, calm him down and say, like, you know, kind of protect Rose from him. But going back to George having kind of that quiet authority and power over Phil, I don't think that he's scared of him or that he felt like he couldn't confront Phil about his treatment of his wife. I think he's perfectly able to. I think that that scene clearly shows that he's able to confront Phil and control him even. And why did he wait so long to do that? That is my question. All right, let's move on to um, some themes and metaphors. We've already kind of gone into the big theme of um, power and bullying and that sort of thing, interpersonal power, power dynamics. Um, In addition to the above, we see Rose being a complete victim to all these power plays between 
the other main characters. Um, especially the, just, it hurts that the scene, seeing her just so worried about her son's growing relationship, growing closer to a man who's very emotionally abusive to Phil, and the scene where she's so delirious and and desperate to just do something to take some power away from Phil that she goes and and sells those cow hides that she knew Phil didn't want to be sold. That is kind of Rose's um, one time in the movie from what I interpreted where she takes power over the situation, even if it's not really a substantial power play that would, you know, that wasn't going to make Phil stop abusing her or her son, which she thinks that he's doing. Um, but that was just kind of like her desperate and her desperation and delirious state <laughs> of her kind of trying to take some power away from Phil. Now, another big obvious theme is masculinity. Um, kind of like what it means to be an alpha and what it means to be a beta. We have, you know, I'm not going to get too much into it, but Phil obviously projects an alpha persona, whereas both George and Peter are definitely more beta. But in the end, they're both the ones that have, that are alive, first of all, and are holding the power. And so what does that mean about masculinity and like alpha personalities and beta personalities? And then also along with masculinity under that umbrella, there's, you know, themes of insecurity when it comes to masculinity, um, dirtiness. Another thing about Phil um, always kind of like purposely being physically dirty and not washing very often, that kind of acts as his um, outer mask of masculinity, alpha masculinity that he puts on to kind of go overboard hiding his inner sexuality, which he sees as something he should hide because it's not masculine. And especially at that time period, I mean, who can blame him for thinking that that's something he needs to hide? But I digress. Um, yeah, so sexuality is also um, under that theme umbrella of masculinity. And yeah, just manhood, what it means to be a man. Um, you know, going back to that quote, the voiceover from Peter at the very beginning, he asked, for what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? So to Peter, being a man, what, what manhood means to him is protecting his mother, protecting the women in his life, the loved ones in his life. And going along with that, um, one... One vague thing that I sort of thought of that maybe the movie was hinting at and um, maybe I'm pulling this out of thin air, I don't know, but to me it seems like there's a possibility that Peter actually killed his dad too. You know what I mean? Like, Peter claims that he's the one that found him hanging there. Maybe he's the one that staged the death to look like a hanging, and maybe he was also protecting his mom in his mind. But um, I have 
kind of tried to look into that on the internet. I think I saw somewhere that the book that this movie is based on, I have not read, but it seems like the book um, kind of denies that theory. I won't get into the book and spoil that for people if they want to read it. Apparently it's a good book. I'll probably try to read it. Um, so yeah, that's another little rabbit hole theory that I had. Um, and then another theme that's pretty prominent is uh, the metaphor of a dog. And to me, that imagery, that theme, that metaphor of a dog did not super click in my brain even after I'd kind of figured out the whole plot of Peter killing Phil. But the more I thought about it and looked into it, the more it does start to make sense. So we see the dog in the title of the movie in the shadow that um, Phil kind of sees and holds kind of sacred that only he and Bronco Henry, now Peter, can see. Um, And also the Bible verse mentions the power of the dog. So I really think that this imagery and metaphor of the dog ties back to the power dynamics. Who is leading who? Who is trained and obedient like a dog? And who is kind of the master, um, who has loyalty, who is the underdog, who is kind of training the other in a manipulative way. And the Bible verse, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Maybe this in a way is Peter's recognition, like Peter's recognition of the shadow of the dog kind of represents that power switch. And yeah. That Bible verse, I'm still not super, like, game on. I feel like it's kind of vague, but, you know, vagueness is fun, isn't it? We get to dissect it and think about it. Now, to wrap up, to me, there are still some unanswered questions that the ending leaves us with. Um, One sort of unclear thing is the events leading to Peter's death, are they random or are they planned? And how much of them are random and how much of them did Peter purposely plan? The timeline of the movie is intentionally vague. It jumps around and has kind of like part one, part two, part three, etc. title cards, but doesn't really explain what the overall time jumps and timeline is. Um, But it does seem clear to me, my interpretation, is that there's a clear plan that Peter has when he goes out and finds the diseased cowhide, and he's just waiting for the opportune moment to implement that plan. He's just patiently waiting for that. And then Rose, um, you know, giving away all the hides so that the only hide that Phil has left to use is that diseased one, just in my interpretation, was just, you know, the series of events that worked out for Peter at that time. Now, another question that I have is, why is Peter keeping that dangerous disease rope? You know, at the very end, he's carefully with gloves on putting it under his bed. Is that just another kind of like show of, yes, I'm the one who holds the power? I feel like it's something more. I feel like maybe he's keeping it. Maybe like um, literally or the movie is kind of showing it metaphorically that he will kill again or do something brutal again to the next person 
who, you know, doesn't treat his mom well. (laughs) In my mind, from what I described about George, I would say that would be George, because in my eyes and my interpretation of the movie, George does not treat his mom well either, does not treat Peter's mom, Rose, well either. So maybe he's kind of putting it under his bed, symbolically or literally, to use on George too. Who knows? And another question is, like, is Rose just all better now? Like, now that Phil is dead, it kind of shows her and George in a lighthearted, maybe happy moment coming back from the funeral. Like, I don't know if that means that Rose is just magically all better now. I don't have personal experience or, like, in-depth knowledge when it comes to addiction and alcoholism, but I feel like it's not quite that simple. And that is all I have for The Power of the Dog. Hopefully that left you with the ending at least somewhat explained. It's definitely an amazing movie with lots of open ends and possible interpretations. And I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about this episode and this film. Is there something I missed? Do you have other theories to contribute or anything else to add? Please send an email my way to endingexplainedpod at gmail.com. That's endingexplainedpod at gmail.com. And then also... As a preview for the next episode, I'm planning on covering Silence of the Lambs, the astounding 1991 psychological horror thriller, one of my favorite movies of all time. I believe at the moment it is streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you also want to email me anything you would like to contribute to the next episode, on Silence of the Lambs, anything you have to add about explaining the ending, theories, themes, symbols, those sorts of things, I would love to hear from you. Again, my email is endingexplainedpod at gmail.com, and I'll include that in the show notes. Please subscribe, rate, and review Ending Explained on whatever platform you're listening. I love being able to create this content And this is a quick and easy way to show a little love in return. Thanks, guys, and talk to you next episode.